We'll try not to delight with too much joy, but we will be finishing the offerings today, okay? (laughs) But there are still many more chapters of Leviticus to go. (laughs) But as I said, it's, 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 it's not strictly going to be verse by verse through it. So we will be taking a few weeks off from that after today, and then we will re-engage it later. There is a reason for it, though. Uh, the reason that, that we are looking at the book of Leviticus is because we, we must never, ever allow our culture, even the current church culture, to uh, get us far removed from God's holiness and God's expectation of His holiness to be exhibited in our lives. We have to remember that above all else. If, if we all agree that His nature is intrinsically holy, then we must pay close attention to what He requires for that. Good news is, we also can pay attention to what Jesus has given us in that too. Okay? All right. So... Uh, Let us turn to Leviticus chapter 5 today. Leviticus chapter 5. We're going to be picking up in verse 14 through verse 19. And then we're going to be going from Leviticus 6 to verse 7. And thus that will end the, uh, the, the issue of the offerings, the five basic offerings that we've been looking at. So in honor of God and His word, let's stand as we read. This is talking about the offering, the reparation offering, or the offering of restitution. Making restitution, making reparation. Let's read in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks, and your valuation... And shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, as a trespass offering. And he, will, and he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing. And shall add one-fifth to it and give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him and the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord... Though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. And he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it. And it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying in chapter 6 verse 1. If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping or about a pledge or about a robbery or if he has extorted from his neighbor or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely and if any of these things that a man may do in which he sins, then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore What was stolen or that the thing which he has extorted or what was delivered to him for safekeeping or the lost thing which he found or all that about which he has sworn falsely. He shall restore its full value, add one fifth more to it and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. 
He shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest. And notice verse 7. This is good news. It happens all throughout these offerings. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any one of these things that he may have done in which he trespasses. Is there not grace in the Old Testament? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word, your word, the reading of your word. And we ask you as those who not only are not Jewish, but are Gentiles, the, the wild olive branch that has been grafted into the cultured vine, Lord, that you would help us to understand this far removed from Leviticus, just how valuable your holiness is, how much of an assault it is upon you when we sin. But Lord, we thank you for Jesus by whom we can approach the throne of grace boldly. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Growing up, I didn't attend church. So if you're new and haven't heard any of my testimony, don't think for a second that I was a church kid and then suddenly just thought that'd be cool to be a preacher. Didn't work out like that. Um, but I didn't grow up in church. I just, my grandmother was a believer. She was very old, okay, so she didn't talk a lot about things. And I was too young to even pay attention because I was so young when I knew her. Um, I think I was in kindergarten. And then after that, sometime she went into a nursing home and stuff. So uh, as I understand it, I had a relative that was a circuit riding Methodist preacher on the horse. So that was interesting. Yeah. But nonetheless, I did understand faith. I never had a hard time believing in God ever. I, I just it just sort of was there. So I never had a I never dis, I never did not believe in God. And my father was a Christian. Uh, I've talked about him many times. Um, and and he did believe and he was born again. But he also was not where he should have been. But in my in my formative, I didn't have a mother growing up, which explains a lot. Um, and so. I didn't have a problem believing in God. I didn't have a problem with Christ or any of those things. And so when I was saved at 12, uh, it was as if the Lord had just automatically had, had put those components in my life to begin with. So when I was asked about that name, because I had heard Jesus before, my grandmother had a plate that uh, she had in her house. It was a very common plate put, produced in the 40s that had the picture of Jesus on it and... and uh, I can't remember. It had maybe this 23rd Psalm. I don't remember. It had something on it. And uh, so I always remember knowing that that represented. G I never thought that plate's Jesus. Okay. Um, but I always I never had a problem with that. And so when my friend asked me that day if I knew Jesus. Um, when he asked me that. That there's something happened in my soul. There was a visceral response in the soul. Um, it wasn't an it wasn't an anger. Well, there was a little bit of rebellion. You know that, that tinge of you're pushing on me. But then there was also this fear, but not like terrified fear. But God is what is happening, and why does this name Jesus? There there was a sense of excitement, but it was undiscernible. By my mind at 12. And then six hours later. When asked again. 
all I could do was fall into his arms and receive him by faith. And he, he came in in a major way. Kind of like that windstorm that blew in this week. That's how Jesus hit me in that tent, boy. I mean, and the peace. Wow. You know, so what I'm saying is I, I bring that up to say, I guess I, I've been thinking about that initial response that I had to his name. And I think it was his holiness that was visiting my soul. That awe, that fear, that reverence, that rebellion that we have as an unnatural man, or an unregenerate person. But even in that point, for the theologians in the room, regeneration was happening. Regeneration was happening. Okay. Before the foundation of the world, God had determined that day and had gifted me to Jesus and he was coming and making good on his gift. And that regeneration in my soul was happening. And so that's what I was sensing. And so when I look at Leviticus and I think about the holiness of God in the middle of that tribe, that mass of people, right? And that tent set up in the middle of these sinful human beings that had not so in the distant past weeks had assaulted the holiness of God by idolatry, right? And now God is so rich in mercy, he wants to dwell in their midst. And he, and he comprises this, this system whereby they can be made uh, uh, able to come into his presence, the holiness of God, it, it, the biggest thing that we always think about the wrath of God is though his anger against sin and wickedness. But that's the, it is his holiness that comes upon that wicked. It's his, the, the wrath is, is extended from his holiness. His holiness is a frightening thing. Completely Without a filter before God in his very innate holiness, we would come undone just like Isaiah. So you have to have a covering. You have to have your sins atoned for. And so all these things that we see in Leviticus is God's grace on display. His major loving kindnesses making a way for them to come. But not only to come once, but to come again and again and again. God doesn't just want you to come once, say, I'm glad to have met you, go live a good life. That's not salvation. Come back. Keep coming. But then you say, but I got dirty. I got sin, God. I'm, my mind is a mess. My soul is just full of thorns. I reek with anger and lust and uh, selfishness and and God, I I am a complete wreck. And then he would say back in this day, well, here's the process for this particular type of offense. Come back. The blood will apply. And in Jesus, we come boldly because the blood has applied once for all. That he might bring us to God. So don't ever think for a second that you can attain some level of holiness on this side of heaven. Whereby you won't need to be reminded of the constant application of the blood of Christ upon your life. 
I love one of the things that Jerry Bridges said, and I wish I'd have took a picture. It was Pursuit of Holiness, I believe, or this holiness book. And uh, he said, Jesus makes acceptable to God all of our sinful efforts to please Him, okay, in Christ. So think of it this way. Even our best efforts, Jesus still cleanses and makes acceptable to God. Mercy, grace, restoration, renewal. That's what it's about. So as we've gone through this list, today we'll be looking at the Asham, the trespass offering, or that which you need to pay back. Now, you don't hear a whole lot of sermons on that these days. Typically, it's in relation to bringing your gift to the altar. And there, you remember someone has a problem with you, you go and make it right. A lot of people don't apply that much anymore because then you have to get into the quick of things. But making amends, paying what, what is owed as a result of sin is what we're going to be looking at. So bear with me and I'll develop this as best I can so you can have a firm foundation on it. I've been reading a book by David Peterson called Possessed by God. And it is making a strong distinction between consecration and sanctification. Okay, But he says this, For the Hebrews, in which case Leviticus is all about the Hebrews, holiness demanded separation with respect to places, times, persons, and acts. Well, so does the Christian life. Okay, In different ways, the demand for separation from the beliefs and practices of the the surrounding nations was to impinge on the life of every Israelite. It was to impact or to affect the life of every single Israelite. Everything they did. From, from the tassels they wore on the corners of their garments, to all of the rituals of cleansing, to, to, the, to the Sabbath, to, to everything they did, washings, all of it, was a picture of what it takes to come into the presence of a holy God. And that God desires them to come into His presence. The tabernacle and later the temple would constantly represent God's holy presence in the midst of his people and his rule over them. We have the cross that reminds us, not that we need it or should have to have it, but we use the cross to to remind us what it costs Jesus to make us acceptable in the Beloved. His blood had to be spilled and applied to our life. There can be no bloodless atonement. And that blood has to be perfectly righteous. And that's what Jesus gave us. So God's sanctifying presence would continue to mark them as a holy people and demand holiness of living as a response. Now think about that last line. God's sanctifying presence, that means Him dwelling there in their midst, would continue to mark them as a holy people. He chose them and demand holiness of living as a response. Theologically, we can do well with agreeing with all of this. We would even say in our day that we can agree 
that it demands holiness of living as a response. But let's parse or let's redefine what holiness is. What passes as holiness? I listened to this week on YouTube. You can watch it if you want to. Eh. Uh, Dr. James White, uh, Jeff Durbin, a pastor down at Apologia Church, where they had a guest speaker on. He is known as the gay theologian. Younger fellow. And he is fully convinced. I heard his arguments that God, word, God's word does not condemn or prohibit homosexuality in any form. And that the blood of Christ is so efficient that if there even were a problem with it, we're okay to be what we are. That's how twisted things have become. And I got to say, uh, if you know anything about Dr. James White or Jeff Durbin, they handled themselves very well. I don't know how you could even begin to take on those guys with, with that kind of a fallacious mindset because you have no leg to stand on but when you're willing to redefine words and scriptures and to pass it away you can make anything stick with anybody so since the holy one had brought the israelites into a special relationship with himself by redeeming them and dwelling dwelling amongst them the fundamental demand of the of the levitical code was this you shall be holy as i am holy And in this framework of thought, the command to sanctify yourselves meant live as those who know God's character and will and delight to please Him. One of the things, uh, I've been doing some uh, premarital counseling, and sometimes it happens. um, But one of the things that I can say that I know is right, because there's no end where you can go with premarital counseling, right? I can say this. If you are to the point where you realize your awful, sinful state before a holy God. You will never be able to point a bony finger to your spouse and say, they're worse than me. And you will beg God to give you leave of what you deserve as you seek to be right with Him. And in so doing, that relationship that you'll have with your spouse will have a much equal footing to go before him together. It's because both of you need to find mercy. See, it's really hard to become high and mighty when you're looking at yourself in the mirror of God's holiness. And I just think that's what that says here. Live as those who know God's character and will and delight to please him. Be keeping his ritual, moral, and social laws. Or, I'm sorry. By keeping his ritual, moral, and social laws, the people of Israel would not profane his holy name before the nations. And what do we see happening in many of the Christian lives today? They profane God's name before the nations, before the peoples. So rather, they would demonstrate God's virtues and the benefit of being a people holy to the Lord, chosen out of all the peoples on the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. In which case, you have to remember, we are called God's treasured possession his own holy people and lastly david writes pollution and sin were to be avoided in every respect of life or even every aspect of life and there was to be a complete break with every form of idolatry and false religion did you hear that so do we think because it's in the old testament that somehow we're exempt from these standards <laughs> we're going to fix to see that we have even more reason To take these seriously. But we have grace to get us through them. That they did not know. 
Okay? Separation from the nations and consecration to God were two different facets of their exclusive relationship with the Lord. When transgression occurred, rites of purification were available for the restoration of cleanness and holiness. The Lord had sanctified them by bringing them out of Egypt to be their God, would thus be sanctified or treated as holy among His people by, by their beliefs and practices. So we have this, this major responsibility as God's people to live a life that is holy and distinct before the Lord God. So now we get into the reparation offering. And I just want to say on this one, this section describes what's known as the guilt offering. But like the purification offering of the previous section, the reparation offering is also an atoning sacrifice. But whereas the purification offering focuses on sin that, as that which defiles, therefore requiring purification, the reparation offering focuses on sin as that which betrays covenant loyalty, therefore requiring a valuation. And I won't go through the rest of that, but let's just look at them. In, in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 14, let's read through. Reparation. So, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, If a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks with your valuation and shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, as a trespass offering. And verse 16 says, And he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing. And then he shall add one-fifth to it. Now, I'm not going to do the math, because I couldn't anyway. But for you smart people, you can do that. Here's what I got from it. We can sin unintentionally into the holy things of the Lord. And I was thinking like, wow, what does that mean? Well, so there you, this is just my mind. Forgive me. Okay, I'm trying to imagine this. There you are. Um, you're, you're bringing your ram, maybe for a different type of offering or something. And you're approaching the priest. And maybe your ram is especially cantankerous that day. And you lose your cool. And in the hearing of the priest, you completely cuss a blue streak in Hebrew. Okay, to the lamb. And then you turn around and stomp and kick dust all over the altar. It's a bad scene, man. It's tense. The priest is like, what are you going to do? Don't think for a second you're all above that. Okay, because that kind of thing could happen. Okay, well, this is a whole different deal. Uh, this isn't just something that affects in your life now. You have offended, you've offended the holy thing of God. You have, you have uh, desecrated it in your fit. The offering you've, you're bringing this animal that, that's blood is supposed to atone for you. You've just cursed. And the altar with which you're going to burn it on, you've just defiled by kicking dust up on it in contempt. Where do you go? You know, and so the Lord says, well, now you have to make restitution. So there was a shekel for the sanctuary that was charged. And then you have to add one fifth to it because sin costs a lot, doesn't it? Well, let's New Testament it a little bit. OK, <laughs> let's say you're in the church, the sanctified, the consecrated area that's been set apart to serve the Lord. And maybe you're in the kitchen. Maybe you're in the Sunday school room. Whatever. 
and, and let's say you're cleaning along and, and, and someone comes in, they begin to talk to you. Next thing you know, you find yourself in a gossip session. Where are you standing? Or, my favorite, you're actually standing in the consecrated place of the Lord with the cross before you and you actually are cussing? You're using profanity here? I don't... So, that, that's a problem. Look where you are, right? Again, I'm trying to bridge the gap to let you know kind of how that works. But... It, it's, it's unintentional many times. None of us ever plan to go out and have a bad day. You know, I also want to see how bad I can sin today. We don't do that. It, it sneaks up on us. But things happen. And now, of course, with them, too, they could maybe accidentally touch a dead body. They'd become defiled. Uh, many other things they could do that would call them, cause them to, come un, to become defiled. But they come into the, to this holy place and suddenly God says, now you got to pay. Because now you are actually offending me by what's happened to you. Well, unintentional sins regarding the holy things of God, God makes a way for even that to be forgiven. Even that. Unintentional things. Well, let's go on down. 517. If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord... I was on my way, and I had this sandwich, and I didn't know, but I got it from this vendor on the side of the road who was a uh, Canaanite, and it was a shrimp sandwich. Never had shrimp, so I didn't know, and I ate it. And then I get there, and I've already stomached the thing down, and the priest goes, Hey, you smell like shrimp. Well, how would you know what shrimp smells like? Well, because I'm a priest. That's what I do. Okay, did you have a shrimp sandwich? I sure did. I had this sandwich, but it was a shrimp sandwich. Well, now you're unclean. Oh, no. person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. Did you see that part, though? How about this one? We've all done it. Well, I didn't mean to. And you know what? Maybe you really didn't mean to. You just, you've got this thing called flesh, and you didn't mean to. I didn't mean to punch the person out. It just was an involuntary response. No. I didn't mean to. They just said stuff that provoked me. And the next thing I knew, I watched as my arm came around and I was in complete dismay. But it really wasn't me. Look, whatever the semantics are, here's what God says. He said, you are guilty and you shall bear your iniquity. Now, here's the difference between us and them. Once I'm in Christ, my sins are atoned for, past, present, and future. That doesn't mean that I don't have consequences to my action, and that doesn't mean that I tolerate sin in my life. But unlike them, until they make that blood offering, their guilt is on them, clinging to them. So, Unintentional sins against the commandments of God is another reason why you would have to pay for it. He goes on to say, down in verse 18, after he brings his valuation, the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance, <laughs> like that, okay, in which he erred, 
and did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. Did you see this? This happens every single time. Most people talk about the law in a negative way, saying God just wants to condemn. But every single time I read it, so that it may be forgiven him. So that it may be forgiven him. Only a heart hardened by sin could ever begin to think so narrowly. And only a heart hardened by sin could ever think that love at the expense of truth is anything but the most unloving thing you could ever do to a person. Lastly, in verse 6, chapter 6, 2, Lord spoke to Moses saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, so you're, you're lying about stuff, literally, or, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he has extorted from his neighbor, or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely, in any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins, then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore what was stolen or the thing which he, was ex- which he has extorted or what was delivered to him for safekeeping or the lost thing he found or all that about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it to its full value and add one-fifth more to it. So I'm just thinking out loud. I borrowed, let's say, I borrowed a fancy torque wrench from a, from a brother in church. He let me borrow it. He didn't say I had to have it back anytime soon. Well, I forgot about it. In fact, I forgot about it so well that I just heard that he was looking for his. And then he said, oh, well, I went and got and bought another one. And then I think to myself, I get to keep this thing. I got like a free torque ranch right snap on right yeah he probably wouldn't miss the drivers i mean after all who wants to make a big stir about that jesus knows you a thief now is you can't plead ignorance well i didn't mean to not take it back he didn't he just went he didn't seem bothered by it the holiness of god knows so now, you take that Snap-on ranch back, plus another one. Oh, yeah. Everybody that knows Snap-on tools went, because <laughs> that hurts. Why do you think they have credit cards? So, you know, and then you take it back and go, here they are. I'm poor. And forgive me for not being honest. I forgot, and you forgot, and then I said, you know, and saw, well, you forgot. I sinned against you. I sinned against God. And here it is. That's the best way I know how to make an analogy of that whole New Testament connection. But you ever done that? Something similar? Have you ever had things like that happen? You know? Uh, There was a wheel. I was looking for a wheel that goes on a jack. Uh, It was just one of those, uh, you know, jacks on a trailer. And it didn't have a wheel on the bottom of it. And I was going to the dump. And I, I like to go to the dump because I like to look around a little. Okay. It's, you can find some stuff sometimes at the dump. Anyway. So I went. Boogity, boogity. Went and pulled in, you know. 
there was this brand new shiny wheel that's made perfectly for that exact application just right there. And it's just right there in the pull-in entrance, shining like, hey. So I thought, if that's there when I get back, I'm taking it. Because it's, it's in the road. So I dump my trash and I come back through. But I had a thing. So I come back through and I saw it and I got it. I put it in the truck. And I didn't even make it a quarter of a mile. The Lord's like, put it back. And I'm like, but they obviously don't miss it. They may not know it's gone yet. <laughs> what if it was your wheel? So I'm like, I'm arguing with God. So I said, well, Lord, I don't want a, a wheel for a jack to be a stumbling block between me and your holiness. <laughs> okay. So I go back and I just throw it back out in the road. I thought, well, that felt good. I'm driving off from it. Dumb story. It's my life. Don't make fun all you want to. But I'm just saying that's kind of how it works out for me. Because how do I know? Maybe, maybe it's a point of contention in their family. Maybe the husband spent his last $20 for his lunch allowance on that wheel. And maybe he remembered, oh, that's what I heard fall off. I'm going to go back to the dump and check. But this preacher took it. I would have the wheel of sin in my life. And that's why my prayers are hindered. And the whole church failed. And then I was found living in a box in California. Okay. <laughs> it's my mind. That's how it works. Okay. I don't want the wheel. It's not worth it. Okay. So the Lord says we make valuation of those things. We have to pay it back. Now to go a little more strictly... Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll read some things after this, and I have just enough time to do it. Let's look at verse 19. So we've all made messes and wrecks of our life. We've all done stupid things that we can't explain. And there we are, exhausting grace, certainly. Surely by this time, God is like, Man, you are so done. Salt you shall become. Therefore, brethren, having boldness, which is confidence in my margin, to enter the holiest. Now notice that part. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now notice that you never ever get lost to the fact that you're made holy by the blood of Jesus. Not you. Good thing. Notice this. By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil. That is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God. Finally. Let us draw near. We're encouraged to. With a true heart. In full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What did you think they do with that animal when they brought it to be killed? They washed it. They killed it. They sprinkled its blood. What did Christ do? Same thing. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope in verse 23 without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And when we're not faithful, the Bible says he remains faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And finally, it ends with, 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We go on down. I'm going to read a little further. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. That's the heart of an apostate. I don't care how much you claim faith. I don't, I don't care about your conversion story. If your life proves nothing but wickedness and unbelief and you're fine with it, you, you are an apostate. There's no truth in you. If you can count the blood of Christ as common and it does not bother your soul that you are actively offending Him, you have no problem. You can do that without any kind of conscience. You do not know. You have not tasted. You have not been changed. Doesn't matter what kind of story you can say. I like how Richard Arwen Roberts put it it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And I can't imagine, can you, getting to the point where you can actually count the blood of Jesus as a common thing? I can't imagine getting to that point. Well, let's finish this up. The New Covenant connection. Of course, there's Isaiah 53, talks about the suffering servant and all those things that he would endure. But in Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. And I wonder how many prayers of the saints in the body of Christ are literally hindered. Or seen as offensive to the spirit of grace, Right? Not salvifically, but in, in sanctification. Approaching the altar knowing full well they have not forgiven a brother or sister. Or they've held on to a grudge. Or they know someone's got something. They, they just come and bring the gift like somehow they're going to get through anyway. Brazenly. There's no statute of limitations. There's a brother sitting in this congregation that, oh man, 17 years ago I managed to offend really well. But fortunately, like about 12 years ago now or so, or more, 15, whatever, well, I don't know, math. But I had to go back and say, hey, and God did a beautiful thing in it. God remembered. What about you? Can you imagine? Husbands, if, if, if you're not honoring and treasuring and treating your wife right, your prayers will be hindered. Hindered. Now think about it. What's the, that's the last thing we need to be hindered is our prayers. But the point is, this. can you see the connection back to the reparation? Can you see the connection back to what God requires? 
In Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts, Jesus prays, as we forgive our debtors. So do you not think you have to forgive your debtors? Do you think God's going to wink at that? And then for you to say, well, I've got Jesus. He knows my frame. I'm but dust. Smack. Luke 19, 8, 9. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, and this is probably the best one so far. Look, Lord, I have... I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken, because he is tax collector, if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold reparation offering. Cool stuff. Well, that was offenses to uh, that was offenses to people. What about offenses to God? To his temple, our bodies individually. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Reality check. What you're about to do is take the literal tabernacle in the middle of the people, and you're about to walk in there brazenly with all your junk. Really? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And then to His church, the body corporate, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So see, it's connected. It's only some kind of a bizarre fantasy to think that what it, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. I got Jesus. It's my get out of, he's my get-out-of-jail-free card. I'm good with God. I can go out here and live and be happy. He wants me to be happy after all. And so I can go do what I want to do. And yet, we have the Scripture, which serve as guardrails to keep us from going over the cliff of destruction, where you roll in the mass of mangled steel and fuel and sizzle in bits and pieces as you go down. That was dramatic. I like what A.W. Tozer wrote in, on November 16, 1958. Okay. Oh God, he was a poet. So, oh God, time is running, flying like a frightened bird. The bird of time is on the wing and has a little way to flutter. The wine of life is oozing drop by drop and the leaves of life are falling one by one. Soon, before the ineffable, that would be God, every man must appear to give an account for the deeds done in the body. Oh, Father, keep upon us a sense of holiness that we can't sin and excuse it, but that repentance will be as deep as our lives. And of course, we ask it in Christ's name. We will always continue to mention and discuss revival. And one of the things I would remind us of when biblical revival comes, you have God's people move to confession of corporate sins. There's a difference between private sins and corporate sins. Private sins you need to keep between you and God. We don't need that. Don't dump that off on me, man. I don't want it in my head. But corporate sins are a different matter. That needs public confession. When God brings biblical revival, the saints are moved to that kind of thing. Or going to someone they know has got a problem. Or letting go of a grudge. Or saying, hey, 
You remember that torque wrench? It was me. I have it. You bought another one? I'm going to pay you back and give this one too. Whatever you got to do. You say, well, I moved from that church. Mm. You remember where you came from. You may need to call that pastor, call those people and say, hey, I need to, I need, I need to speak with you. Whatever you got to do. So the question is, and I'm, I can't believe this is going to work back around, but it's working out. Do you want to have a shiny wheel for a jack be the reason in your life to, to hijack and quench the Spirit of God working? Or... In the entire church. Let us remember the sin of Achan. Do you really want that in the cab of your life? No. I'm going to ask JT to come. All we have to do. And this sounds right. Is simply where you're sitting. Ask God to reveal to you. that If there's anything left in you. That is undone. Unrepented of hardness of heart, unforgiveness, selfish. I mean, well, there's a there's a list a mile long. Offer it back. Give it to God and say, I hate it. Take it from me. I need to go make this right. I need to go make that right. God, I, I've sinned. I need I need to approach the congregation. I need to ask them to forgive me. In which case you would simply tell me, go over it with me. And then we'll determine if that's the case. Let there be nothing with which God is offended by us at. Nothing with which the Spirit is quenched. If you need Jesus Christ today, repent of your sins, believe the gospel, and be saved. As we play, you come.